Welcome to the No Limit Selling Podcast, where industry leaders share their advice on how you can become better, stronger, faster. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the No Limit Selling Podcast. Today we have David Price, and we're going to be talking about anxiety. David, welcome to the program. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you having me. So where in the world are you, David? I am in North Carolina, right on the coast, on the eastern coast of the United States. Ah, brilliant. I'm here in uh, good old Toronto, Canada, uh, uh, the home of A. We like saying that a lot. Uh, but let's talk anxiety uh, to kind of frame it up. Could What's your definition of anxiety? I think anxiety is just basically an, an unease about some situation, um, as you and I were chatting a little bit about earlier, for most of us, there's a, a baseline level of anxiety because there's so many things going on in the world that are different. Um, there's so much change in the world, and depending on our view of that, it's either good or bad. Uh, sometimes it just is, but anytime that there's change, there's going to be some level of anxiety, and this is true for any of us. Um, so I, to me, it's just it's a feeling of unease. And if it's severe enough, it becomes a feeling of dread that things are not going to work out, either on my level or the big level. So some people feel that dread in certain situations and other people uh, have a low uh, lying simmer that's happening. And uh, think about one of your clients that has that low level or high level of simmer happening all the time, like they're in that anxiety state uh, where you ask them a question or do something or where for a moment they let go of the anxiety and they're remembering a fond childhood memory or uh, so good example. I'll give you one. I was uh, in a Home Depot and this guy was helping me and I said, you know, where is this item? and he was stuttering really, really badly. And so he kind of helps me find what I'm looking for. And I said, can I, let me ask you a question. Uh, uh, do you stutter when you sing? He goes, no, not at all. I can sing perfectly fine. And so my suggestion was, instead of giving directions to people at Home Depot, sing them. You'll be, end up on YouTube and be like uh, a star. But uh, But that's an example of, Losing the stuttering when you're singing, uh, sometimes when you get people to think about something else for a moment, the anxiety disappears. And then a moment later, it can come back. Uh, tell me about a story, one of your clients, where you were able to distract them for a moment, which is proof positive that you can live without anxiety. It doesn't have to be the norm. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think, first of all, I think dealing with anxiety at the root of it is uh, sort of a holistic, I guess I can use that word, um, thing in my coaching programs. What we really emphasize is a whole life approach to all of the issues. Whatever your issue is, anxiety is one of them for a lot of folks. And we really talk a lot about habits, routines, lifestyle, and those kinds of things. So I would, I would begin with that. And I would tell anybody who's struggling with anxiety that, it's, it's a whole life issue, and it's dealt with at the level of habits, routine, and lifestyle. But certainly there are things that we teach people. You know, we teach people to reframe, uh, to look at things differently where you can, you can reframe the situation and see it. So one thing that, that I, uh, I was talking to a friend of mine on the phone one day, and he was talking about a big change that he was 
wanting to make. He was wanting to go from a sort of a business, a job, to a nonprofit that he was wanting to start. And he said, I'm scared. I said, well, let's think about that for a minute. I said, what happens if you reframe that and if you think I'm excited instead of scared? And he thought for a minute and he said, wow, he said, that's amazing. He said, it completely changes my view of of doing that because what we know is that fear and uh, excitement are really pretty much the same thing. And, you know, people spend billions of dollars every year going to amusement parks to ride what we call thrill rides. We don't yep. call them fear rides, but the feeling is exactly the same. That feeling that you feel when you're at the top of that roller coaster and you're just about to go down is a thrill. It's really the same thing as fear. And so what I was able to get him to do, and, and I do this a lot in the programs that I, that I run, is when we change the words that we use, really the whole frame of the way we're looking at it changes as well. Absolutely. And I think uh, another thing that uh, I, I do with my clients is I get them to think about a time they were excited. Where in your body do you feel that? Typically, it's around the navel, like a big circle there is the energy center. I said, okay, now tell me about a time you were afraid. Where do you feel that? And it's like, it's the same place. Right. And then analyze the two feelings. It's the meaning we make out of that feeling yes. is what causes the anxiety or the thrill or the anticipation. And because uh, human beings are meaning making machines and it's the meaning that we make. So you and I could have the same experience and I come out of it going with dread. Oh my God, I almost died. And you come out of it saying, Oh my God, life is so precious. And I want to like savor every moment of it. And it's like, all right. So there are different kinds of anxiety. Uh, what are the different kinds of anxiety? Yeah, I think yeah, there's lots of different kinds. Again, I think there's sort of the baseline. And I'm not sure that any of us really ever completely get over that sort of that sort of baseline anxiety that we're going to be feeling about something. You know, my children are in their 20s now. I have three. And my children are in their 20s. Um, and the anxiety that I feel about their lives is mm -hmm. completely different than it, I felt when they were in the womb and then that I felt when they were three and then I felt when they were in high school and now that they're in their 20s I felt the level of anxiety about my children still do at every stage of their lives and mine but it was a different kind of anxiety in mm. being more or less so I think there's a baseline because there's always something that we're uncertain about there's always something that we're that we've got a concern about in, at some level, whether it's, again, it's it's us. As I get older, I think about my own, you know, getting sick and all those sorts of things. But then there's that level of anxiety that we feel about the world because things are always changing. There's always some, no matter who's in the White House here in the States, no matter who's in the White House, you know, we have some level of anxiety about that. And so, but then there's that level of, of micro anxiety as well that we feel about whatever's going on specifically right now in our lives. Um, I, we just discovered that we've got a mouse uh, running around our house right now. And so we just figured that out yesterday. And so now we, you know, we got this problem right now, this issue that we've got to deal with. And so those change from day to day or from year to year. Uh, but I think that there's sort of a macro level of anxiety. And then I think there's a micro what's going on right now that I'm concerned about 
and those, of course, when you get into those, they're either sort of a, a sort of a, a, a low level, or they can be really acute and very painful. Yeah, it's almost like uh, a telescope. Uh, certainly, we've got the macro, what's going on up there, and then we've got the micro, but the micro seems much larger than life because it's like right before us. And just a suggestion for the mouse situation, most people would say get a cat. I say, no, David, you should get a really large snake, <laughs> which would cause a lot more anxiety. It'll drum up some business. Yes. Get your wife on the couch. It'll be fun. Uh, yes, that's so, exactly right. <laughs> so where do uh, phobias come in on the anxiety, anxiety spectrum? Because they certainly cause a lot of anxiety. Uh, talk to me about phobias. Yeah, well, I'm certainly no expert on, on phobias by any means, but I, my feeling is, as a person who has a couple of them myself, uh, at least some level of that, I, I suppose it's just that's a very acute um, level of anxiety that we feel about things that is beyond the norm. You know, most mm -hmm. people are a little bit um, a little bit anxious around snakes or you mentioned snakes you know most people have some level of kind of ickiness about snakes but some people um you know can't even touch a picture of a snake or if you mention a snake they just are overwhelmed and so I, my feeling about phobias is that they're just sort of the next level of acute in a way that i hate to use the word unreasonable because I, I, it's a loaded term but it's just a level of fear and anxiety that is way beyond the norm that requires a very special level of, of help and, and dealing with that. Absolutely. So we live in these, here's my uh, theory according to Umar, is when we're anxious about stuff, uh, our mind is predetermined to validate our thoughts. So if I'm anxious about uh, my performance, and you're not really nodding your head in the right way, David, you're doing it in this way. So I'm thinking, oh my God, he doesn't really agree with me. He's kind of half-heartedly doing it. He's judging me. What will people think? And then all of a sudden we start making these stories about stuff that are perfectly benign that become dangerous too. So we kind of spiral down into this self-fulfilling prophecy. And at the same time, our comfort zone uh, start shrinking because we don't do new things because of that stuff. So thoughts on that, where no, anxieties I, radicalize. No, that's such a, an important point. And I think for, for all of life, whether we're talking about anxiety or, or life in general, but that frame, or I think really a better, we talk about framing and reframing. I think really maybe filtering is a better term, the lens that we look sure. at everything through. So, you know, we say nothing has meaning except the meaning that we give it. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a Christian. I believe that there are certain absolutes and certain things that do have an absolute meaning. But what we mean by that is that nothing has meaning except the meaning that you give it is that, as you just said, any event, anything, something that somebody says doesn't have any absolute meaning in and of itself except the meaning that I'm going to assign to it. The problem is that most of us are in the habit of, and I think maybe a little bit um, because of uh, brain programming that we were born with, 
Um, we're in the habit of assigning negative meanings to most things. I, I think it's our habit. I think it's our nature. I think it's the brain's way of protecting us. The brain is constantly scanning for danger. And so we're predisposed to putting a negative spin on most things as a protective mechanism. That's great for survival, but it's terrible for happiness. And so when we're constantly putting a negative spin on Everything that we encounter, as you said, it causes us to live in fear. It causes us to shrink. It causes us not to put ourselves out there. And eventually, it causes us to put ourselves in a box where we're very, very miserable and not experiencing a lot of fantastic things that we could be experiencing. And just somebody in that kind of mindset and that kind of situation, and somebody amazing comes into their life, there's a really good chance they're going to sabotage it. Because how could somebody that amazing be interested in someone who's broken as me and then will consciously or unconsciously uh, ensure that that relationship breaks up and they uh, uh, walk away from us and that just validates they see I knew it. They were just faking yeah. it. Yeah, so, absolutely. So talk to me about how does anxiety impact the comfort zone? Well, I think anxiety impacts the comfort zone by keeping it where it is. Um, so when I'm anxious about doing something outside of my comfort zone, then I'm going to tend toward not doing it until I learn how to deal with the anxiety. And as we know, everything that's good, growth, um, you know, new experiences, happiness, uh, becoming a better me, um, meeting someone that's going to be exciting or impactful in my life, the next level of financial success, every single one of those things is outside of our comfort zone. Um, and they require us doing something outside of our comfort zone. Everything that you're going to get that's within your comfort zone, you've already gotten. And so if you're happy with things exactly as they are and there's nothing else, then terrific. But if there's anything that you want in your life that you do not presently have, it's outside of your comfort zone. And if we don't know how to deal with that anxiety, then we're going to stay in that box that we've created with ourselves. And so learning how to deal with it, learning how to take small steps, learning how to do something that's a little bit scary, um, and then realizing it didn't kill me. I'm still here, so I can probably do something else that's a little bit scary. Uh, that's kind of what starts to get us out of that, I think. So I'm going to challenge you a bit on what you said. Uh, my uh, worldview is the comfort zone is not static. It's either growing or shrinking. And if you think you're not trying new things, that thing is slowly millimeter, millimeter by millimeter. We're in Canada, this metric here, uh, getting closer, <laughs> smaller and smaller. And uh, what happens is we don't go and do the things we want to do. Because we don't do the things we want to do, uh, we don't get the experience we need to do them well. Because you're the kind of guy, David, that uh, if you go to do something new, there's a really good chance that you're not going to suck at it. You're going to do a half-decent job. And by doing the half-decent job, you're going to learn what you did well, what you didn't. You can make the tweaks. And the third time you do it, you're going to do a decent job. Tenth time, you're going to be fantastic at it. But if you don't even try it, then not only do you not do it and get the experience, but then it just validates I'm useless. Things right. never work out for me. And, yeah. uh, and it starts shrinking down again. Yeah. So as we look at anxiety, here is my uh, working hypothesis on that is oftentimes 
there is a, a a core issue that started the whole thing going where the whole uh, structure is built on. And if we can go down to that pivotal belief about self or about the world that is driving uh, the anxiety, that oftentimes we can get radical changes uh, in the outcome. Uh, does that sound like a theory that holds water? And kind of what's your experience around that? No, I think that's exactly right. And that certainly is my personal experience. Uh, the reason that I got into coaching was because of my own personal transformation, uh, which happened. I'm a slow learner. It happened after about 30 years. Mm. Um, but what started all that was the loss of my father. My father died when I was seven. Wow. He was, yeah, he was 44 years old um, and he died uh, at work. And the loss of my father created in me a view of myself that I was less than a real man um, I had never been able to learn from the modeling, the teaching, the guidance of my dad because he was, was gone. Um, and so because of that, I've, I've always seen myself as less than a man, incapable as a man, um, unable to be a real man and do the things that men do. I can't fix anything. Um, I coach sports for over 20 years, but I never saw myself as, as good at it uh, as, you know, as I was always the worst coach. I'm a minister. I'm always the worst minister. And so, no, I totally agree with that, that if that experience for me of not having a man to model myself after then created in me a view of deficiency as a man, which then resonated into all parts of my life. I'm less than, and so I can never be equal to any task. And as you said, everything that I did that failed or every dysfunction I had simply confirmed my view of who I was. Yeah. And what's kind of interesting is uh, uh, let's say you and I had met when you were a kid and I said, you know, uh, David, that's not true. None of what I would have said would have made sense. And like when we, we do the best we can in the moment with the resources we have and it would have been hard to overcome that. Now, when you look back at it, it's like, you know, hey, uh, a lot of that stuff wasn't true, but uh, uh, I'm sure a lot of negatives came out of it, but I'm sure also some positives came out of it as well. Uh, did any positives come out of that? I'm not a real man where it made you try harder or see things differently that were useful? Well, the, the biggest thing that came from not exactly that thing. The biggest came, thing that came from losing my father was my determination to be a great dad um, and to be present with my kids and, and to be there for everything that I could be. So I, I say that to say that even though something is traumatic as losing a parent mm. um, is tragic, in many ways, that was the best thing that could ever have happened to me because it made me realize that I could go at any moment and I needed to spend every moment that I could with my children. And I've done that and I wouldn't trade anything for that. Yeah. I wouldn't even have my own father back if it meant that I was less of a present dad. So, um, so just to speak to the reframe kind of issue, um, certainly right. there was some real benefits that came out of, of that. And another benefit of that is that I can connect with, lots of people because I, I was raised by my mother. I think it gives me a dimension that a lot of men don't have. Um, and I can connect with men who feel 
um, unworthy or less than as men. So, yeah, there have been a, a, some tremendous benefits that came out of a really tragic situation. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing that. And uh, I was just at a funeral yesterday. It was a beautiful gentleman. He was 92 years old. And, of course, his uh, friends and his daughter devastated. And I can't even imagine, like, when you're a kid and you lose. And this is like an adult losing, and it was traumatic. Uh, before we go further, let's hear from one of our sponsors. If you're ready to let go of anxiety, let go of uncertainty, let go of doubt, Mindset Boosters gives you the ability to decide how you act and feel in any situation. Ready to take charge of your mindset? Go to MindsetBoosters.com. So that's our sponsor, Mindset Boosters. The QR code is at the uh, top of the screen. Go there. You'll love it. So anxiety seems to be at an all-time high right now. Certainly we went through the pandemic. I think there's uh, uncertainty in the world right now. Anytime we go have a major shift, we went from hunter-gatherers to uh, farmers. It's like, what do you want to settle in one place? So why would you do that? And then we're industrial revolution, then technology. And now we're in the midst of that information age, AI, and uh, people are worried about my grandkids. Will they have a job? Will they be replaced by robots? And because of all that anxiety, uh, we've got these strong men coming around the world that are like, uh, it's all about our country, you know, uh, Canada first kind of mentality and everyone else is dangerous and I'm the guy that's going to save you. Which, uh, so how, what's, what are three pieces of advice you would give people that are just uh, feeling more anxiety right now? It's not a, a severe issue, but it could become one. What are three things they could do right now that would actually abate the anxiety so they can just start living their lives? Well, I think certainly, and again, the foundation of everything that I believe and teach is to, to address your own personal growth and your own mindset, to get serious. I don't believe there's anything more important than getting serious about habits and routines and a lifestyle of personal growth, which is your mindset, which is learning, reading, taking courses, getting a coach, um, all of those things that, that boost the power of our minds and our emotions that make us stronger, that make us more resilient. We've got to make a habit of personal growth. I'm just convicted. I'm more convicted about that all the time. Um, one thing we say in our programs is it's not about tips, tricks, and hacks. It's about lifestyle, habits, and routines. What's your morning routine? How much do you read? Um, you know, are you taking courses all the time? Are you a lifelong learner? Those things are very important. The second thing that I would say would be to Before connect you go there, David, before you go to uh, thing two, the first one I think just needs to be highlighted. Uh, there's uh, an old saying that I heard, you know, why did God create fleas? to give dogs something to do and just learning new things gives you something to do. And you start yeah. focusing on, on that. Cause if you have an idle mind, you're going to focus on what hurts most, which is like, uh, uh, and it just uh, creates a pool of anxiety that you can focus on. If you're doing learning cool stuff, what I'm looking for is somebody to uh, come to the dinner table with their family and go, did you know? And they share what they learned that day. And it just, uh, so yeah, uh, 
becoming a lifelong learner, learning new things is incredibly important. What's number two? Number two would be connection with positive and growth minded people. Um, we talk a lot about this. Um, Coach Omar, uh, Omar, I'm sure you do as well. Um, Jim Rohn, the, to me, the greatest of the personal growth gurus. Yes. Um, I think he was truly fantastic. Um, he said that you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. Um, we talk a lot in personal growth and in coaching about the people that you're around. The Bible talks a lot about the people that you're around, the effect that they have on you. Um, a lot of times we say, well, if somebody's negative, cut them out. Stop hanging around them. Get them out of your life. And that's that's great as, as far as you can do that. But a lot of times you can't. A lot of times the negative person is your spouse. It's your mom. It's your son. Um, it's your in-laws. Um, and so there's only a limited amount to, to, to which you can cut negative people out of your life. And you shouldn't do that anyway. Negative people need love, too. But um, but there is no limit to the amount of positive people you can get into your life. So subtraction is limited. Addition is unlimited. Um, and you can bring all those people into your life that you possibly can. So connect with them online. Connect with them in person. Go where they are. Where are the positive people, the volunteer organizations, the churches, the, um, you know, the, 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 uh, uh, the, the um, business groups? Um, in your area, where are they? Go where they are. Don't sit around and complain that you don't know anybody who's positive. Go find them because they're out there. Um, and so spending as much time with positive and growth-minded people as possible is crucial. So just adding to that, uh, so let's say you and I were friends. We've just met, but we were friends. And let's say you're a very boastful person, David. And it's like, uh, you know, I had a car. Well, I had a Rolls Royce or whatever. And then uh, one of the things to do is say, okay, uh, what do I like about David? I like this, 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 but I'm focusing on the thing that I don't like. And the question to ask is, uh, this is how David is. He's not going to change. Can I accept him being a boaster because I want him as a friend? And as soon as you have that mindset shift, then all of a sudden that thing that used to drive you crazy doesn't drive you crazy anymore. So don't just focus on that one aspect that's negative. Just see if it's outweighs all the positives. And oftentimes that just reframes it and all of a sudden yeah. it stops bothering you. And added yeah. to that is if David is a big fat boaster and it irritates me, what that really says is I have a bit of boasting within me and that's why it irritates me. And that's why there's 8 billion people in the world is to, to reflect. It's hard to see within but if someone's bugging you, what's the attribute that bugs me most? And it's like, oh, my God, I have that, too. And then you can go and once you fix that, that their behavior doesn't bother you again. So what's number three, David? Number three was something that may seem unrelated. But, Coach, I believe that you would say that this is crucial to dealing with any sort of mindset issue, anxiety included, and that is your physical health. Um, physical health is so important. Um, I mean, we could talk for hours and hours about the importance of the, the gut brain connection, uh, brain health, um, the effect of nutrition on your emotions and mindset, your, your sleep, how much sleep do you get and what is the quality of your sleep, exercise, which is not just for weight loss and physical fitness. It is a powerful mindset shifter. Um, you know, even things like power poses, physical posture, smiling, 
uh, mm. creates feel-good hormones. Um, how much water are you drinking? All of those health and physical habits, a lot of people think, well, it's just about weight loss and looking good. You know, exercising is just going to make you look good in your coffin. We're all going to die anyway. Well, the fact is that what you eat, what you drink, how much you sleep, um, and the amount of physical movement that you get is a powerful contributing factor to your mindset and your anxiety is elevated if your health habits are not optimal. Health habits are crucial. Couldn't agree more. It's uh, if you want to reduce your chance of getting uh, a stroke, it's like 20 minutes of exercise a day just magically does that. And the number one thing for brain health uh, is exercise every day. And you don't have to be heroic about it and do like uh, uh, press massive amounts of weight. Go for, a, go for a walk if you want to go for a walk. And uh, it just uh, more blood flow gets to the brain and the more blood flow, the healthier you are. So yeah, oftentimes, especially if you've got kids and you just train them to do that, it's just part of their norm. And it can be a lifelong habit that just pays dividends throughout. Uh, David, was there a question that I should have asked you around anxiety and the work that you're doing that I did not? Well, I think the only thing, Coach, uh, is, um, you know, a lot of times people ask me on podcasts and things, what if you could say one thing, what would it be? And, and I guess that would be the only thing. <laughs> you may were going to ask me that anyway, so we can kill two birds with one stone. But the one thing that I would say is to encourage people to be persistent and, and the, the, the the story that I give around that is, is my weight loss. I was at one point 100 pounds overweight, um, and I've been, I took that off, been able to keep that off. Um, and the reason is because of simply it is persistence. Over decades, I tried diet after diet after diet, and that's a whole other discussion, diet versus nutrition, whatever. But I tried all these diets and systems, and I failed and failed and failed and failed and failed until one day I didn't. And I think a lot of times about if I had given up and not tried the last time when it worked, I would still, be, well, I'd be more than 100 pounds overweight. I might be dead because of my history and my family. So the reason I tell that story is that it is persistence that brought the change. I tried and failed numerous times, but I tried and then succeeded and what people do is quit too soon, that they stop trying and they never get the change that they're after. The key is trying. I know that you've tried a million times and it's so discouraging. It's so hard to try again, try again, because you never know when that shift is going to happen and everything's going to change and you are living a life that you love. And so don't give up. Brilliant advice. And, you know, we've had a lot of guests on the show and the most successful ones always talk about it's hard work and it's persistent that gets you the success that you want. This flash overnight, uh, flash in the pan stuff just doesn't happen in real life for most people. And, uh, and an open mind because this uh, sometimes is going to be working hard and being persistent in the wrong direction and just looking at it saying, Oh, I need to tweak this or I need to talk to David. Uh, what's one thing I could change that would help me get better results. So absolutely. Uh, David, it was a pleasure having you on the show. 32 minutes went by like that. Uh, hold on to the mic. I'll be right with you. 
If you enjoyed this episode, please go to iTunes and leave a five-star rating. And if you're looking for more tools, go to my website at nolimitselling.com. I've got a free mind training course there that's going to teach you some insights from the world of neuro-linguistic programming, and that is the fastest way to get better results. 